prayer. And I think her description of God is the epitome today of, of people just being able to fill in the blanks with anything they want about God. She said this, let's say prayer is to what the Greeks called the really real, what lies within us, beyond the scrim of our values, positions, convictions, and wounds. Or let's say it's a cry from within to life, or love with capital L's. Nothing could matter less than what we call this force. Let's not get bogged down on whom or what we pray to. Let's just say prayer is communication from our hearts to the great mystery or goodness, to the animating energy of love we are sometimes bold enough to believe in, to something unimaginably big and not us. We could call this force not me, or for convenience, we could just say God. Now, I don't know how that quote makes you feel, but to me, this is filled with insult to a holy God who has moved heaven and earth to reveal himself. Somebody casting about, not even willing to give God a name or any attribute. Somebody who's willing to erase everything God has revealed about himself and say, he can be whatever I decide. It's ignorant and it's insulting. And this is the day we live in. And this opinion that God is just whoever I want him to be is very insulting. Um, how do you feel when people make things up about you? How do you feel when people make things up about you that aren't true? How do you feel when people make things up about you that aren't true? And that's how God feels when people make things up about him that aren't true. Let's not be deceived. We can't just decide God is whoever we want him to be. And God won't allow that in his court of law on judgment day. Well, I decided you were this. I'm very sorry you did. God revealed himself. Has the Lord saved you from the waters of death? Do you have a story? Do you worship him because of who he is? In the New Testament, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, what did he say? I am. Jesus took the name of God and the nature of God on himself. Moses showed people an earthly rescue, but God ultimately gave us his bio in the person of Jesus Christ. This is who I am. In order to know God, you have to know his son. Has the Lord Jesus Christ rescued you from the waters of death? Has he delivered you? If so, you, you know God. You know him by name and you know him personally and you can sing for joy because of what he's done for you. Number one, here the Israelites are celebrating because the Lord has rescued. Is that you? Has the Lord saved you from the waters of death? Number two, jot this down. Has the Lord bought you out of slavery to sin? Bought, purchased. Has he bought you out of slavery to sin? Check out verse 13, reading on. It says in this song, You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. The word redeemed there is the key word of this point. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They're still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. So here we see that there are now three groups of people in this song. And only three groups. There are the people who have already been destroyed by the Lord. There are the people who will soon be destroyed by the Lord. 
and then there are the people who have been rescued by the Lord. And this is leading us to ask, which group am I in? Has the Lord bought you out of slavery to sin? The word redemption here in verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. The word redemption, very simply put, means to be set free. Set free. And just like we need to be saved, salvation, so we need to be set free, redemption, from the power of sin. This also describes the true human condition. We are bound by the power of sin. We are subject to the penalty of sin, and we can't free ourselves. Moses not only walked people through the waters of death, he helped people to be broken free from the shackles of slavery. So all the Israelites were bound and enslaved, and they couldn't get free, and that shows you you. That shows you you. God needs to set you free from bondage and slavery. That's redemption. Has the Lord bought you out of slavery to sin? Often people won't agree to the diagnosis that you have a sin problem you can't solve. The Bible teaches a few things about sin. We are sinful at birth, and we are sinful by choice. Some people won't accept that. Jot this down. We are sinful at birth. That's what the Bible teaches. A good way to think about that is sin is built into the hardware. All right, so uh, when I was in college, when I was in school, I bought a laptop, working on my master's degree, and I was so excited, a new laptop. Uh, And I got the laptop, and I opened it up, and I installed the disk in the DVD drive to get, you know, to get it all set up. And, and the laptop went like this. And that DVD drive, DVD drive sounded like it was about to blow up. So I put the laptop on the table and then I hid behind the couch. Is it going to blow up? And it didn't stop. So I had to like sneak over there and like turn it off. And I let it cool down and I started again and I tried it again. And it said, and so I turned it off, and I returned it, <laughs> because it was, it was broken, and they gave me a new one. Now, um, your heart and my heart what was broken at birth. There were defects in the hardware. The hard drive was corrupt. So imagine a computer. The first time you turn it on, you get the blue screen, right? The blue screen of doom. Something is wrong, all right? You can't work with that. There's nothing you can do to fix that. All right? and, and if you're going to flip it over, get your screwdriver out and start pulling the guts out to find the problem, yeah, good luck with that. You wouldn't. You would return it. And the Bible is very honest. Because we are sinful at birth, we don't just need an improved heart. We don't just need, you know, update 11.0. The Bible says we need a new heart. It, it flat out says God must remove our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. God needs to perform heart surgery on you while you're awake without anesthesia. All right, this is the way the Bible describes the nature of our need. We don't just need a little help. We don't just need a little forgiveness for our oopses. We need God to tear this thing out and put a new one in. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be saved. And if you're, tr- if you're honest about the, thing, the things you see in here, if you're honest about the struggle you feel in here, you'll admit it's true. You can't tame this thing. So when you think you've got one area under control, another one breaks loose. 
The Lord needs to buy you out of slavery to sin. We're sinful at birth. Jot this down. We're also sinful by choice. Some people might say, well, that's not fair. I'm sinful at birth. I didn't choose that. How, how, how come I'm born into this world where I'm just broken from birth? All right, well, the point is, you are sinful at birth, but you're also sinful by choice. This is like a software problem. Okay, this is, I went to a bad website, and now I got some malware on the laptop. So every time I go online, a pop-up comes up, right? Like, you know, buy this, buy this, buy this. And you keep Xing them up. Has anyone ever had this happen before? I've had where the ads keep coming up, and you can X them all day long. They don't stop. Because you X out three of them, and then ten of them show up, and you got to bring it into the Geek Squad. And then you got to say, I don't know what I did, but, but there's a software problem that's been downloaded to my laptop. And then they got to go into it all, and, you know, they got to rip it out. The code. This is a software problem. And we're sinful at birth. The hardware is corrupt. But we're sinful by choice. We've downloaded things to our heart that don't belong there. And guess what? We can't get it out. We can't get it out. We've chosen to get sin into the programming and now it's too late. We can't get it out and God needs to help us. We're sinful by choice and we're sinful at birth. I've got three kids and I can attest that children learn to sin at a very young age without their parents teaching. Uh, My daughter Ellie, when she was much younger, was being mean to her sister Cassie when she was much younger. And so Cassie said to us, Ellie told the dog to bite me. And we looked at Ellie and said, did you tell the dog to bite your sister? And Ellie said, he doesn't speak English. (laughs) Well-reasoned. Scary well-reasoned for a child her age. We learn how to sin and how to get ourselves out of sin at a young age. Dog doesn't speak English. Not my fault. We do that. We still do that. We sin by choice, and then we try and cover it up. Now, we could spend our lives trying to just sin by sin, click them out. Like, okay, I won't do that one anymore. Okay, I'm sorry I did that, but guess what? We, we then fail to realize that the source of the problem is deep within. Okay? And some people, this is where some people go wrong. A lot of people will miss heaven because of what I'm about to tell you right now, so it's important that you listen. They think because the number of sins that have popped up on the screen are less than other people's screens that they're somehow to get, going to get into heaven. Okay, but if you're, if you're counting sin, you miss the nature of sin, that the nature of sin is it's deeply rooted in your soul. And some people say, well, the ads that have popped up are not as bad. So now that it's the quality of the sin that they're thinking, by comparison, isn't as bad as others. But that, again, fails to realize where it's coming from. The source of where it's all coming from is deeply rooted within your heart. And if God doesn't get in there and pull that virus out and replace it with the master's, designer's original intent, you're not fit for heaven. You're not fit for heaven. He won't let you into heaven because you'll ruin it. Heaven with sin is not heaven. But I've got great news for you. The bad news is we're sinful at birth and we're sinful by choice. But I've got great news for you. Sin is your biggest problem, but Jesus is the solution. God sent a solution. Jot this down. Jesus came to rescue us from sin. He came. Moses came to rescue God's people from slavery. Follow me. We're getting out of here. And they moved from one place in the desert to another. All right. 
In the end, that alone did nothing for their souls. Great, now you're in a land filled with milk and honey. Great, that doesn't do anything for their souls. It was the faith in the Redeemer that saved their soul. And Moses was acting out what Jesus would need to do. Follow me, I'm going to get you out of slavery, and I'm going to get you out of death. We're supposed to understand that Moses shows us Jesus. Jesus came to rescue us from sin. In Micah 7, 19, it says this, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What a beautiful portrait of God himself picking up every one of your sins, all of them, every last one of them, picking them up and throwing them to the bottom of the sea. Just like he defeated Pharaoh's army and overthrew death, it's like when we watch those soldiers who were hunting the Israelites sink to the bottom, it's like all of our sins are there with them. And we walk free, not just from death, but free from sin. What a beautiful portrait. Jesus came to rescue us from sin. God wants to be real and present in your life. God wants to free you from the sin that destroys you. But we see here that God's people are distinct. It says, you have led in your steadfast love, verse 13, the people who you have redeemed. You have guided them to your holy abode. Is that true of you? Has God led you in steadfast love? Has he redeemed you? See, some people want the love of God without the redemption of God. Oh, God's always loved me. He's always been there for me. I know I'm his child. When did he break you free from the prison of sin? Oh, I'm not that bad of a person. Well, if he hasn't redeemed you, I don't think that you have his love yet. Because his love wants to jailbreak you from sin so you can walk in newness of life. But a lot of people don't want the newness of life part. They want God to love them and to love their sin. And God will never agree to that. He will never do that because that's not what a loving person does. He wants to free you from the sin. God's people here are distinct. Some people are offended at the thought that God has only some people in his kingdom and not all people. But it's clear. It says in verse 16, Terror and dread fall upon them because of your greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. It's very clear that the people of God are following the deliverer of God out of safety, out of slavery into safety. And the people who are not gods are standing still as stone, terrified. No peace in God's presence. And just watching the people of God go by, waiting for their time to perish. If you think everybody's going to heaven... I really don't think you'd think that because I think you'd start making a list of people you don't think should go to heaven. And I think that list would begin to get longer and longer and longer. And then we would just start asking, who put you in charge of deciding who gets into heaven anyway? (laughs) Right? And if you're in charge of whether I get into heaven, why can't I be in charge of whether you get into heaven? I think we would all agree it's best if God decides who gets into heaven and not you or me. And God decides. And he makes it clear. Saved people go to heaven. Not Not good people, not religious people, saved people, rescued people. Are you rescued from sin? Is there evidence in your life that you've been set free from the power of sin? Have you enjoyed an extended season of victory over sins that that once owned you? Do the people in your life who are closest to you see evidence that you have been set 
free from the power of sin? Or are you just same old you, same old you you've been forever? If there's no evidence that God has broken your chains of sin, maybe he hasn't rescued you yet. Maybe he hasn't. But Jesus came to rescue us from sin. Number one, has the Lord saved you from the waters of death? Do you have a story? Do you worship Christ? Number two, has the Lord bought you out of slavery to sin? Do you admit that you've been sinful at birth and sinful by choice and that you need a rescuer to free you? Number three, do you know you will live forever in heaven? Do you know it? This is the third thing that the Israelites are celebrating. This is the third thing that all saved people sing about. It says in verse 17, You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. So, historically, if we trace what this is celebrating, first it's celebrating that God is bringing his saved people to a mountain. First they stopped at the mountain. What's the first mountain they stopped at? You know, the mountain. But they got the Ten Commandments, Mount, yeah, Mount Sinai. There they were. That mountain thundered, right? And God came down and warned, don't even touch it. If you touch this mountain, you're going to die. And then Moses came down with the Ten Commandments. And here the presence of God was on earth, but man couldn't approach. Well, how can we fix it? And they're going to build the tabernacle. And God's going to make a way for people to approach his presence through the sacrifice of a lamb, right? But then eventually Israel would arrive in their home country, Solomon would build a temple. And that temple would be on a mountain, Mount of Jerusalem, right? And then God would reveal, look, you can draw near to my presence through the blood of the lamb. And the sacrifice of a lamb would allow the people to approach with their sins having been forgiven. But then Jesus came. And Jesus came and died on a cross right outside Jerusalem, right there. And then the curtain of the temple was torn in two, and that was God's way of inviting us into his holy presence, not just on earth, but in heaven forever and ever. Heaven is described as a great city. Uh, the city of Israel is sometimes, or the city of Jerusalem is portrayed as a heavenly city up on a high mountain at times, and God is welcoming, welcoming saved people to what's called Mount Zion, the, the Mount of the Redeemed. And do you know that God is inviting you into his holy presence? Do you know that he's welcoming you? Come, come into my presence. But do you know that the only way you can get there is if you've been rescued and saved? This is the end of where God's leading us. This is, this is the end of where it's all going. The purchased, redeemed, saved people of God are welcomed into his holy presence. It says you bring them in. You plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And then it says it's forever. Your holy presence forever. Do you know you will live forever in heaven? Have you accepted God's invitation to come into his holy presence? Have you understood the way to get there? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Heaven is his kingdom. And you've been given an invitation to come to his home forever. Again, we live in a day where people think heaven can be anything they want it to be. And I've, I've gone to many funerals. I've officiated many funerals, and I've just attended many funerals. And what you hear there is fascinating. You hear anything from, well, you know, maybe uh, he's going to have another chance on the other side when he talks to the big guy. Um, and uh, just a very down-to-earth personal. I've heard people describe it as, well, maybe he was welcomed into the glorious light 
uh, and it's just this impersonal force or energy that someone passed into. And, um, but the Bible describes heaven as a kingdom, a kingdom that belongs to a king. And the king of heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his, not yours. You must be invited to his kingdom. And if you hate the king and think you're going to live in his kingdom forever, that's not going to work. Do you know you will live forever in heaven? There are only three types of people talked about in this song. Those who have already been destroyed, those who will soon be destroyed, and those who are saved. Which are you? Are you a rescued person? Welcome into God's presence. God's enemies here are described as trembling with fear. And if you're basically only afraid of God, I would just challenge you to get past that today. If you're just living in fear, wondering what God's going to do with you when you leave this life, that's not how he wants. He doesn't want you to watch the parade of redeemed people go by. Jump in. God's enemies are described here as having no place in his presence. This forecasts the terrible doom of all who oppose God or simply neglect to follow his Redeemer. Jot this down. If you want to go to heaven, don't trust your goodness or works. Good people don't go to heaven. Rescued people go to heaven. Don't trust your goodness or your works. You must be called by name to follow his deliverer. I, was, uh, I traveled to Indianapolis this past week for a board meeting, and I was sitting waiting to get on my flight, my flight back home, and uh, I was so excited because I noticed that even though I checked in late, my uh, ticket said A36. And you know Southwest, you get A, B, or C, and you just you board according to your letter, and then you could sit anywhere on the plane. So I was like, oh, I got an A. Uh, and then the flight attendant got up there and said, well, we have a pretty small flight here on the way to Chicago. There's only 40 people on the flight. And I'm like, I got number 36. <laughs> well, that changes things. Here I am all excited because I got A, preferred boarding. Nope, I got A36. She said, but if anyone has priority boarding, please come up to the front right now. Nobody came up. And then she said, will passenger Ryan Hall please come up to the front? And I was like, that's me. So even though my number that I have earned with my late registration was A36, I walked right up to the front in front of everyone, even number one. (laughs) And I got on the plane. I got on the plane so soon, the flight attendants were sitting down. I was the first one on the plane. And they said, oh, are we boarding? I said, yes, we are. (laughs) And they got up and started getting everything ready. I I got to lead the way onto the plane. And I figured out later the reason why is because somebody from our church works at Southwest and she upgraded my reservation. (laughs) Now, there's a spiritual lesson to this, okay? Because I checked in late and would have been at the end of the line, all right? But because another person promoted me, my name was called and I got to board first. This, this shows us how we get saved. But a, a truer picture to how we get to heaven would actually have been if I was sitting there without a ticket, all right? Without a ticket. I can't get on. That's, that's the picture of heaven. You can't get on. You don't have a ticket, right? You don't even have the money to afford a ticket. Because a plane trip to heaven... You can't pay the price. And imagine just sitting there, watching all these people, and then suddenly your name is called. And you go, but I didn't, I didn't have a ticket. Somebody else arranged for you to travel. That's how everybody gets to heaven. You've got to know somebody. You've got to know somebody named Jesus who can get you on that plane. You can't trust your goodness or works. Another thing I thought was funny is there I was sitting on the uh, plane getting ready to take off, and they give their little speech 
and Southwest, they're pretty funny. And so the flight attendant got up. <laughs> because there were only 40 people on the plane, he decided he wasn't going to waste his time going through the whole speech. So he got up there and he said, do the do's and don't the don'ts. Enjoy your flight. <laughs> do the do's and don't the don'ts and enjoy your flight. Brilliant! Right? But I think that's how some people think they're going to get to heaven. Do the do's and don't the don'ts. And then I'll get to heaven. But that's not it. That's not it. You can't trust your goodness or your works. You don't even have a ticket. And you can't pay the price. Because the cost is perfection. Forgiveness. Only Jesus can give you that. Last point. Trust Christ's goodness and works. He's the only one who can bring you to his sanctuary. He's the only one who can plant you on his mountain. He's the only one who can show you where the Lord will reign forever and ever and ever. Is your soul ready to stand before God with confidence? Is your soul ready to stand before God with confidence? Is it? If today was it, and tomorrow you went, would you be ready? I read a quote from Johnny Erickson Tata in one of my Christmas messages. Maybe you weren't here to hear it. You know Johnny Erickson Tata because of a diving accident when she was just newly married. She's been a, a quadriplegic for life. She just wrote an awesome article you need to read, 50 Years in a Wheelchair. You need to read it. It's amazing about her walk, walk with the Lord, 50 Years in a Wheelchair. But I love what she said. She said this, heaven is about to happen. The celebration is about to burst on the scene. And I can hardly wait. Is that your heart? Are you a singing, redeemed, rescued person standing beside the shores of death as one who's just been saved by the Lord? Heaven is about to happen. Can you hardly wait? Or does that thought fill you with dread? You can be ready for heaven, but you have to cry out to the only one who can save your soul today before time runs out. Let's close in response to this with a word of prayer. Father, we believe this. Heaven is about to happen. Measured by the History of time, there's a fraction of a second on the clock. Measured against the time of eternity, there's no time left. Heaven is about to happen. Lord, some came here today and they weren't ready. They weren't ready to go to heaven, but maybe they're hearing the truth about Jesus, the one who came down from heaven to walk us out of slavery to sin, the one who came down from heaven to walk us on dry land through the waters of death, the one who came down from heaven to march us up the holy mountain of God to live there forever. And they can't get there alone. I pray right here and now that there would be some who are abandoning their own righteousness and they're falling at the feet of Jesus and crying out for a savior, for a rescue. Joyfully, I pray that they would sing because they've been rescued from certain doom. I pray that it would happen right now, that in the hearts of some people in this room, they would be saying, Jesus, rescue me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, receive me into your kingdom. And just as the thief on the cross, who had no way of pleasing you, asked that while dying, Jesus, your response to him is the same as it is to us. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, you are our only hope. You're the only one who can call our name. You're the only one who can invite us up to your sanctuary. We trust you and you alone. This is our faith. This is our hope. And we pray it in your mighty name. Amen. Amen.